Welcome back, baseball fans, to Rounding Third, the baseball podcast, episode 26. This is our first installment of our Thursday episodes. Uh, We're back in the regular season, Max. Super excited. Great episode. Excited to dive in. Roll that intro. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. All right, Max, we are back. Now the second episode we've done actually covering real baseball. That matters. Super exciting. We got an all new format. Our uh, midweek show is going to look a little bit different than our weekend show or our Monday show. Uh, excited. We got some storylines to run through. Uh, a new segment, Preacher Reach, where we are going to give three statements to the other co host. And we will say that is either you're preaching, that's a good take, that could happen, or you're reaching, terrible take. You know nothing about baseball. No in between, just black and white on that. Uh, we have rounding thirds player watch where we're going to look at a player that we think has been playing really hot, playing exceptional, and a player that is not so much playing well and is rather lackluster. We're going to round it out with a lock of the week. We will both be giving you our pick for the upcoming week, the bet we are most confident in, and we will track this all season long and report in following episodes, consequent episodes. Max? Yeah, I think, I think this should be pretty good. You know, we got some good segments. We got some good takes to fire. Um, it's kind of hard to give super hot takes this early in the season with only five games in, but it also makes it a little easier to have some super absurd takes because some teams just are overperforming early in the season. But, I mean, let's start with these storylines because um, there's some big things happening in baseball, lots going on these past couple days. And the one that we're going to kick it off with, I know you are very passionate about. Clayton Kershaw today throws seven perfect innings. So 21 up, 21 down. And he is pulled after seven innings by Dave Roberts due to pitch count. You know, early in the season, all the starting pitchers aren't throwing high pitch counts. I think he was at 80 and he's pulled after seven innings, after seven perfect innings innings i know james you weren't a fan of it every baseball fan wants to see kershaw go for it six more outs six outs away from perfection there's only been 23 perfect games in the history of baseball and he's pulled not given the chance to finish it out james give me your thoughts well initially first thing i would like to do is just congratulate clayton kershaw on an immaculate i mean beautiful start he has not looked this, and keep in mind, this is one of my favorite. I don't think I've missed a Kershaw game that he started since like 2014. This is the best I have seen him pitch since 2016. I mean, he was borderline unhittable. All the stuff was there, just untouchable. The fastball was sitting at 92, nothing crazy, but they could not hit his slider. I mean, it was whiff city. He was getting whiffs on changeups. Brilliant performance. It was vintage Kershaw, and it was a treat to watch. With all that being said, as we got geared up and this went on, and it looks like this was going to be a historical-type performance, Dave Roberts ruined it. Uh, What I have to say, Dave Roberts should be considered a war criminal. Uh, He should be prosecuted 
clearly under the Geneva Accords. I mean, th- there is just – this was disgusting for Dodgers fans, for Clayton Kershaw, for the game of baseball, for baseball fans. As you said, only 23 perfect games has have ever happened in Major League Baseball. By my estimations, the last one was King Felix's in 2012, I think. Yeah, so it was the last one a decade ago. We were five games in the first week of the regular season, ready to have a storyline that captured all of baseball and non-baseball fans. You have one of the biggest names in the sport. We've done a Hall of Famer not. We think he's both a guaranteed, probably unanimous Hall of Famer. You know, one of the greatest to ever do it in this generation and greatest to ever do it ever. Uh, on the feet, the only feat he has not accomplished, Clayton Kershaw has won an MVP. He's won a Cy Young. He's won a World Series. He's thrown a no-hitter. The last thing he has to do to basically complete everything, he's not done a triple crown. Uh, I don't think that's going to happen. And he's not done a perfect game. This is so devastating to me, Max, because the 34-year-old who's in the fourth quarter of his career, I don't think we ever see him go seven innings perfect again. It doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, it doesn't happen. And so, like, like all the major pitchers that we talked about, like, there's only been 23 perfect games ever. So this doesn't happen very often. And there's been, like, over 200, like 250,000 MLB games ever. And only 23 times after there have been a perfect game, 27 straight outs, no errors, no walks, no hit-by-pitches, no base runners. And just to be that close, I mean, I get it's the first, his first start of the year. He's older, he's had injury issues, and he's at 80 pitches already. But, I mean, if he gives up a walk or if he hits a batter, if he gives up a hit, just pull him right there. Just take him out of the game, and that's it. But to be six outs away, it almost feels like if you were to pull him, you should have already done it. Like, take him out after the sixth if you're planning on pulling him. But now he's two innings away from a perfect game and you take him out. It's tough. I know Clayton said he was in favor of it. Like, he understood um, what was going on, and he didn't seem too upset. But as a baseball fan, I mean, how nobody's rude wants him to be taken out. And I was digging through. Interestingly enough, there's only been one other time that a player has been pulled after seven perfect innings. And it was in 2016, and the manager of that team was Dave Roberts, who pulled Rich Hill for the Los Angeles Dodgers after seven perfect innings because of injury issues. You know, and the pitch count, look, he's at 80 pitches. I understand the arm's not built up. He's not ready to go 110 pitches. But when you are a Hall of Fame caliber player about to accomplish a feat, if he would have thrown that perfect game, we one weekend of the season could have closed it. The most impressive thing to happen the entire season would have already happened, no matter what happens. Someone could hit 60 home runs. It would not have mattered. That would have been the moment. So to have him that close, and like you said, I understand you want to build him up, the injuries. If you're going to do that approach, you pull him after six. You got through two-thirds of a game. You're looking good. Don't give him the extra 10 pitches. But it's teasing him. You get him six outs away, and six outs is so close. You get a couple of fly balls, pitch counts under control. And then let's say worst-case scenario. He gets there, he gets to the eighth, he gets to the ninth, and you're sitting two outs away at 100 pitches. You let him throw his damn arm out. It doesn't matter. You let him risk it all. If he's on a one-year deal, if on that one-year deal he throws one game, it's a perfect game, and he does not play another game for the Dodgers, that's one of the best contracts ever signed. It 
that I mean, it's a monumental moment. Dave Roberts, I know what he's going to say. And by the way, he's public enemy number one. Uh, I'll unpack that in a second. But he's going to say, you know, we didn't want to risk injury, whatever. The aspiration is on the World Series. Exactly. Bull, bullshit. The World Series will be decided in late October. It is mid-April. Clint Kershaw has time to get injured, come back, get injured again, come back again, and still pitch in the playoffs. And if you think 20 pitches is going to give him Tommy John and end this season, you're screwed. He's going to have to throw 200 innings this year. You're screwed. If he's that fringe on the health, you're screwed. He's a veteran. He does this for a living. He's done this for 15 years. He understands if he's on the verge of throwing his damn arm out of place. If you can't trust Clayton Kershaw to make these decisions, what are you doing? Who can you trust? But Clayton Kershaw also wasn't opposed to being taken out. Like you said, he's a veteran. He can he knows when he's gone too far. He came into the dugout, was high-fiving everybody, giving everybody hugs. He understood the situation. He decided it was enough. And him and Dave Roberts, they made that group decision. And, I, I mean, look, I'm with you. I wish he threw a perfect game. But the worst thing that could happen is he come he comes back out there, gets hurt, or like throws a throw gives up a hit, and then still gets hurt, and then and then he's hurt. He didn't get the perfect game, and you're just you know out of luck. But now it's like he had an amazing start, and I wish he was out there too. But to give Dave Roberts the benefit of the doubt, we don't know what the decision making was like in the dugout. We don't know if you know. They knew going into this, or, or Kershaw said, you know, I understand, I want to be pulled, after, or not I want to be pulled, but I'm okay with being taken out of the game because I understand the injury risk and everything that's at stake and what this team is trying to do this year. But it, but I will say, if it was a no-hitter, pull him. You know, he already's thrown a no-hitter. He's done it before. There's been hundreds of no-hitters. But this is this is perfection. I mean, for something to happen only 23 or so times in the history of Major League Baseball, it's really, really hard to take him out. I, I mean, I get it, and we don't know what the decision-making process was like, but I, I just feel like as a baseball fan, you have to keep him in the game. Yeah, I mean, Jeff Pazin summed that up really well, and I'm in total agreement. If it's a no-hitter, sit him down. You know, it's the first week of the season. You're chasing perfection. If you would have done that, it would have been the – 24th best game ever thrown by a pitcher to cement finally round out his hall of fame resume. If he did that, there would then I think be, it would be a hundred percent unanimous. He goes straight to the hall. I, I don't think this game changes that incredible start, but to me, this is what has to happen to make this right. And real quick, I just want to say, I treat a perfect game the same way you treat game seven in the playoffs where you're throwing out the arms. If you got to pull a starter in relief, if you got to pitch on short, you do whatever has to happen to see it through. And if that means Clayton Kershaw throws a perfect game and we don't see him pitch again until July, that is a damn success. But I don't know <clears> if Clayton <throat> would say the same thing, though. I think he might be like, this team has bigger aspirations. This team is built for the postseason. I came back to L.A. in the offseason to win a World Series, not to throw a perfect game in my first start. I want to stay healthy and I don't want to, you know, get up in the pitch count when the doctor doesn't want me to and risk the rest of my rest of the season when I came back to win a World Series and be a major part of this team to win a World Series. And and I appreciate that. So this is where I'll say this is what has to happen to to right this situation and then I'll get off my soapbox. 
So first of all, the Dodgers are already World Series or bust because they have one of the best lineups to ever be assembled. Dave Roberts personally guaranteed it and then doubled down on that guarantee. The already were World Series or bust. Now that's even heightened. I mean, I think, first of all, Clayton Kershaw needs to stay healthy all year. If we're folding on perfect games, then you need to stay healthy. you got to pitch the full gambit. And I want him in Cy Young conversation. I mean, I wanted to play at that level, not just in the conversation. you got to play healthy and play consistently at that level. Then it's like, okay, long-term gain. I see that. And they absolutely have to win a World Series. If they do not win a World Series, and I completely and sincerely mean this, I want Dave Roberts fired. You have the best lineup. You are screwing baseball history. You're screwing baseball fans. You're screwing the game. To win a World Series, it's all predicated on that. Now it is literally you get the job done or this was all for naught. Because if you don't win a World Series, a perfect game would have been basically you get a perfect game or you get a World Series success. So that's what Dave Roberts has made the decision. We'll see how it comes down. I feel bad for non-Dodgers fans, though, for this reason, because my silver lining is, okay, you save Kershaw, I get more Kershaw, have a chance postseason, you know, bigger aspirations. If you're a non-baseball fan, you're like, sweet, could have seen a perfect game. I didn't. Doesn't do anything. Uh, Of course, Dave Roberts is not making these decisions on what random fans and beat writers are saying. But you just hated to see it for the game of baseball. I understand the reasons, the computer nerds, the stats, the arms. Sure, there's the justifications, but it would have been so cool. And and as like Clint Kershaw is my guy, like I want to name my kid Clayton. If he would have done this, I would have gone bananas. So it sucks that I was personally robbed of that. Yeah, I mean, a perfect game situation like this does seem like a time where you just throw everything else out the window and you're like, just let the guy go. And it's also like, it wasn't like he was slumping. I mean, he was like striking out the side every inning. Um, And I think it's easy to put a negative spin on this just because we all wanted him to throw a perfect game and we're upset. But I mean, it's still one hell of a start. I mean, seven perfect innings, 13 strikeouts out of 21 total outs. I mean, you should be thrilled if you're a Dodger fan to have vintage Clayton Kershaw on the mound to open the season, especially if he's your third starter or whatever the case may be. I mean, it's it's a great start for Kershaw. Yeah, it, and honestly, you can't ask for a better start. And I will say, no. just, just pitting the league on notice, if Clayton Kershaw, they're actually making health decisions and he can stay healthy and he can, if he's not just vintage for a day, but he somehow found a way to get back into that elite, elite performance. The league is screwed. If the third option is Cy Young, Clayton Kershaw, goodbye. Uh, We'll be smashing the over in July. I mean, come on. Like, so I'm really excited. Hopefully this means more Clayton Kershaw at an elite level. It was a gem of a game to watch. Congratulations there. Pile on all the hate for Dave Roberts. And then we'll see if he shows up in October. If they win a World Series, I don't care about this game at all. I'll say I'll release it there. That's when I'll be free of this sin. Maybe it'll just come out and throw another one next game, and, and they'll let him go all the way. You never know. Maybe it's just perfect game every game now. I don't know. But we'll <laughs> yeah. see what he can do. But I think we've covered the topic at nauseum. Dave Roberts hates fun. Dave Roberts hates baseball. Dave Roberts needs to win a World Series. With that being said, some other exciting news uh, to cover. Yeah, let's jump into the AL Central, the Cleveland Guardians. How about the best young player in baseball right now, Stephen Kwan? He's like quickly becoming probably my favorite player in baseball. This kid is just 
I mean, there's not much you can say about him. He is just unbelievable. He's right now just so his stats right now, he's 10 for 19. He's batting 526 as a 655 on base percentage. Uh, he's been walked eight times. And before today, so before today, because he ended up getting his first strikeout today, but coming into today, he had not swung and missed at a pitch since in, in major or minor leagues since last September. So not even swung and missed, not struck and out. He is just, I mean, he, he even had a quote. He said, I used to cry every time I struck out, so I just decided to stop striking out. I mean, he's just amazing. He's able to see the ball so well. Um, I mean, not only batting 10 for 19, but on top of that, having eight walks. He just has got on base almost every time he's been at the plate. He's really one of the major reasons why this Guardians team has a lot of hype. Him and uh, Jose Ramirez behind him and a player I'll talk about later. They're just all playing really well. He struck out once, eight walks, like I said, almost a 700 on base percentage. He's really, really looking incredible. And as a, as a rookie this year, he's definitely come out and been the most impressive rookie in a really strong rookie class with Bobby Wood Jr. Um, and Torkelson and, and all these other guys. He's been really, really impressive and quickly becoming the star outfielder that the Guardians need. Yeah, qu quite frankly, he's overshadowing all of the top prospects that we thought we had to watch. Bobby Witt, Julio Rodriguez, and certainly five games in, I'm not ready to quit on those guys. They've already given us some magical plays. But he's a pitcher's worst nightmare. Uh, as you said, his major league streak until today, he, he saw 129 major league pitches without swinging and missing. That is insane. That would be an insane stat for Mike Trout to do, yet alone a rookie. Uh, and he really, he's a pitcher's nightmare. He works counts full. He's very disciplined at the plate. He's getting walks. And if you throw it in the zone, he's going to clobber it. I mean, it, it's, I didn't even have him on my radar and he's becoming a household name in a week. Yeah, like the other day he went into, I think it was against the Royals. I don't think it was in this Red Series, but it was against the Royals. He was coming into the game batting 800. He got on base 15 times in his first four major league games, which is just crazy. And he came into the game batting 800. And at the end of the game, he hit a base clearing triple to really take the game out of reach. He's just been extremely impressive. And that whole Guardians team has been really impressive with Miles Straw, Stephen Kwan, Jose Ramirez, Owen Miller. Even the pitching staff has been really good. Um, and he's, you know, he's really given that lineup a lot of life. And it's been really, really fun to watch. He's one of the most fun players to watch thus far in the season. Yeah, and I think the last comments I have on it on, man, if you're a Guardians fan, it's been a nice two weeks. It, it, very bleak outlook on the season. And then instantly your ownership finally grows up and signs an incredible player in Jose Ramirez. You get him long-term, you're feeling good about that. And then you discover, oh my God, not only do we have a great rookie, we may have one of the elite players in baseball. Like right now, I'd, he's got to be in the top 10 list, top five list of players this year. Like he's insane. He's insane what he's doing. It's been a treat to watch. And if you're a Guardians fan, you have to be over the moon with this team. Yeah, the Guardians right now are 4-2. and two. They started the season 0-2. They scored one run in their first two games. They they lost, I think, 3-1 and then lost 1-0 in extras. Since then, they've won four straight. They've scored 41 runs in their past four games, um, including a 17-run game in their third game um, with two wins against the Royals, and then they swept the Reds in this past series ending today. They've looked really good. 
they've looked really good. There's not much more to say about it. They they're putting up runs like no other team right now. Mercado's hitting homers. Jose Ramirez is just absolutely slugging. There's not much to complain about in Cleveland right now. You know, and so I'll take that to the other baseball franchise in Ohio who just got swept by the Guardians. And really, there's a lot to complain about now. I don't know if you want to lead in. Definitely a questionable at best statement coming out from the Reds president today. Yeah, so going into their game against the Guardians. And real quick, you did say the the Reds were your spicy team in our Sunday episode. Uh, since then, things haven't gone too well. But yeah, this is pretty unfortunate for a um, an organization that already doesn't really like their their president, Phil Castellini. He, um, you know, everyone's been upset. He got rid of Suarez, got rid of Winker, Castellanos didn't resign because they wouldn't pay him. Sonny Gray, Amir Garrett. I mean, we've talked about all these players that have left. And he basically <laughs> came out with this statement kind of trying to justify all of this. And he said, quote, well, where are you going to go? Where are you going to go? Let's start here. I mean, sell the team to who? That's the other thing. You want to have this debate? If you want to look at what would you do with this team to have it be more profitable, make more money, compete more in the current economic system that this game exists in, it would be to pick it up and move this team somewhere else. And so be careful what you ask for. I think we're doing the best we can do with the resources that we have. We're no more pleased with the results than the fans. I'm not sitting here saying anybody should be happy. I'm not polishing trophies in the office right now. And that's where that's what we're here to do. But the bottom line is, and I do not think we've had to shift the discipline. We've tried a lot of things that didn't work. And they came this close to working and didn't. Nobody's got to tell me it didn't work. So I think we've learned from those things. And trust me, Nick, the general manager, he is a guy on a mission and he is a bull in a China shop that has his way to do it. And that's the way to grow your own. And he's doing just that. Um, and so, I mean, he's basically saying this, te- <laughs> this team, like he, there's nobody to sell it to. If they want to make more money, they need to move the team. Um, it's just a tough look for a franchise and fans that are upset with their team. And he came out today and said, I apologize to Reds fans and regret the comments that I made earlier today. We love the city. We love this team and we love our fans. I understand how our fans feel and I'm sorry. It's just tough looks. It's tough looks going into the home opener. He, he basically said these the same day as the home opener. It's tough. Yeah, I mean, look, there's so much. The only thing I have to say about this, and there's no other verb for that, it's utter bullshit he's serving up at 100 miles an hour to fans who luckily didn't see, saw straight through this. First of all, you are a historic franchise. The Cincinnati Reds are a top 10 franchise in the history of baseball. They have one. Need I point to the 90s where they were one of the best franchises. They have one in that city. The competitive balance of money was no different then with the Yankees spending ridiculous amounts and L.A. spending ridiculous amounts. You can look at their crosstown counterpart, the Cincinnati Bengals, who are signing everyone, getting a ridiculous deal for Joe Burrow, building a new facility, just went to the Super Bowl. You know how to become profitable in baseball? Win damn games. You know, you buy jerseys when you win. You go to the stadium when you win. When you sell everyone with a pulse, no one's going to give you money. Also, this is baseball. If you want to just make straight gains, look at the S&P 500. You should be here to win baseball games, and if you win, you get rewarded. Is there any team that filed for bankruptcy directly following winning a World Series? No. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like 
the current economics in baseball, like he said, teams are spending money like crazy. The Dodgers, the Rangers, the Yankees, the Mets, all these teams are spending money. And if you're not willing to go out and spend the money to make your team successful, then, then you, then you really should be looking to move on to someone else. And I know he said you sell the team to who, I mean, I don't know, I guess if there aren't buyers or not for the team, but you've been rebuilding forever. I mean, Ever since those those years with Johnny Cueto and Brandon Phillips and Adam Dunn and all those players, you've been rebuilding pretty much ever since. And last year, you finally had a team that was young, was fun. You had the rookie of the year in Jonathan India, um, Castellanos. I mean, who knows if Castellanos would have ever, ever re-signed, no matter how enticing it would have been. But then to just move on from Winker and Suarez, who were also big pieces of that team, and Sonny Gray and Amir Garrett, and all these players you're just getting rid of, and we've talked about the Reds in the past, but it's just tough. It's tough to, you know, feel discouraged as a Reds fan and then have the president of your entire team come out and basically say that if this team were to be successful, we would have to move it to another city. I mean, it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, why would you think that's a good thing to say? Which is, yeah, it's a stupid comment and it's not true. And the other thing I would point to is not even looking at the current state of baseball, What team has perennially competed? What team has gone to the World Series? The Tampa Bay Rays with a payroll equivalent to yours. You can do it. Look at Moneyball. I mean, Oakland's like it is possible to compete. And yeah, if you're not sophisticated enough to compete, then yes, you do need to move on and you do need to sell the team. And I don't buy that you can't find a buyer who's not interested in baseball and wouldn't like to start with a top 10 historic team, a great fan base who continues to support that dumpster fire organization. I mean, it's just, it's disgusting. This is exactly what we need to get out of baseball. I mean, get this mindset out of here. The Rays have found a way to leverage their low payroll into success, which brought them revenue and allowed them to sign Wander Franco for 13 years. I mean, the proof's in the pudding. It's a ridiculous comment. I feel bad for Reds fans. Do better, Phil Castiani. How about some on-the-field news? Uh, This is kind of like what we'll talk about later in our segment, um, the rounding third player watch, where we talk about the you know, best and worst performers. But somebody that I think we should talk about that I don't think we either of us will have on our list later is Shohei Otani has really, really been struggling to start this season. Um, He's batting 424 for 25, batting 160, has yet to hit a home run. He struck out eight times and he hasn't walked yet. Um, And there was even a clip of him doing CPR to his bat, trying to get it to come to life. I, I'm, you know, I think he'll recover. We're four, six, five, six games into the season. Um, I know I picked him to win AL MVP again, but he's been really struggling from the plate watching some of these games. Last night, I think he went one for four, but three strikeouts. He's just hitting a lot of singles. No, you know, he's had some high, high exit velocity uh, at bats, you know, hitting a double at 119 miles an hour, his highest yet. But yet to go yard and yet to even draw a walk, it's an interesting start for a player that, you know, we expected to come in and just be electric at the plate again. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too worried about it. You know, you got to consider, you know, when baseball slumps will happen. The way I see this is he's just unfortunately starting the season with a slump. Way right. too small of a sample size. I'd still take him in a heartbeat over almost any other player. Uh, but I did love the CPR to the back clip. I mean, just seeing that personality in him, you know, sometimes you don't always get that because of language barrier. I mean, it was hilarious. Like, to be able to kind of self-deprecate and be like, damn, I'm sucking it up. 
Come on, give me some help. It was an awesome clip. He'll get right back on the wagon, and we'll be celebrating Shohei bombs a lot this season. I hope so. I hope so. It's it's always better for baseball when he's playing at his best because of how exciting it is to watch. We'll see he's on the mound tomorrow, which I guess things are out of whack because this is coming out on Thursday. So he's on the mound tonight, Thursday, April 14th um, at Texas. So hopefully, you know, getting him on the action in the mound. He's been pitching great. His first start was really, really good. He just got to pick it up from the plate, and we'll we'll see how that happens, James. Yeah, give me your next storyline. Yeah, I think talking about picking it up, you had Alec Baum. I hope I'm getting that correct. Uh, Philadelphia infielder was just sucking it up, just having one of those nights. Could not complete simple plays. I mean, just he, he was <laughs> routinely trying to throw to first, and he was just splashing the fans, splashing the dugout. I mean, could not get that ball within five feet of first base. Uh, three errors and in three innings. Yeah, three errors, three innings. And what happened is – the fourth time a routine ground ball comes to him, he fields the ball, gets it, fires a dart to first, gets the out, routine play. The stadium erupts. I mean, they, they were freaking out. You would have thought they just, you know, won the NLCS or something. And it was clearly sarcastic. It was like, oh, my God, this guy actually can play baseball. Uh, he was caught, like, red-handed with the live cam right on him, right after the other center. I fucking hate this place. Um, <laughs> And But I do have props to him, and I think, you know, the city of Philadelphia, notoriously, you know, they ride their athletes, that they ride them pretty hard, and he owned up to it. So definitely credit to him right afterwards. He's like, yep, you caught me. I'm not going to say I was saying something else. You know, emotions got the best of me. It was tight. And then the very next day, he walks up for his first at-bat, and the stadium gives him an actual standing ovation. Uh, which was pretty cool to see. I think that was kind of the Philly thing, seeing, you know what, we respect you for owning up to it. You know, we don't want you to actually hate it here. Um, so it was kind of a cool moment, kind of a funny story. Yeah, it was a good moment, a, a good moment. You got to feel bad for him getting caught red-handed like, like that. I mean, I don't know why he's saying something like that walking off the field, but at least he owned up to it. I mean, he could have done a lot worse things, and props to Philly for giving them the ovation when he comes back the next day. Um, Honestly, I think Philly loves that move. Like, if you own up to your stuff, that's what Philly wants. They're like, already owned up to it. Let's get back after. Uh, Some pretty funny moments in Philly. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like that team plays a lot of defense anyway. I mean, that team is all about just slugging home runs. So, And they're open about that. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I think it's more than fitting that you cover our next storyline. Yeah, big moment the other night in St. Louis. Um Albert Pujols, first home run in Bush Stadium as a Cardinal since 2011. Really awesome to see. Uh, first pitch after Arenado hit one deep, who's been on, on an absolute tear. Albert comes up in the five spot, ready to rock. Uh, he's got the high socks on. First pitch he sees, just bombs it to left field. I mean, everyone was going crazy. i had been trying to, you know, pay attention to every single one of his at-bats so I could catch that live and it was great, especially going back-to-back with Arenado. Immediately got the curtain call. He's now only 20 home runs from 700, which is, you know, the big number he's chasing. I think only four or five players have ever hit 700. Um, and so now he's only 20 away. And as, you know, everyone knows, this is his last season. So it's good he got the first one and 20 more to go. It was, it was a really great moment. It's going to be a grind to get there, but I think this is a story that all of baseball is cheering to happen. Um, 
uh, it's feasible. So I'm hoping he gets there. Good to get the first one out of the way. And uh, I know you cards fans, definitely a touching moment. Seeing Albert blast again, the machine is activated, hide from the arch. It's ready to roll. Uh, so I'm hoping he just goes on a tear here, gets a couple of series versus all lefties and starts to really cut into that number. A little two, three home run series upcoming would be great. Uh, yeah, he so. went three for four yesterday. The only problem is he's not going to be an everyday designated hitter because we have Corey Dickerson who's playing a lot and even Lars Newbar comes in and plays DH. So it's not going to be an everyday at bat for him. I mean, he's mainly there to bat against lefties where he's really, really good against. So we'll see how many at bats he gets, but I, I'm everybody knows he's chasing 700. So yeah, we'll and, see and- what happens. I'd love to see an addition to the club. The closest I think we've gotten uh, to the 700 club in modern times would be Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, ended at 630. If he didn't well, miss 400 games, he would have gotten it. A-Rod's at like uh, 696, I think, when he Scrooge. retired. Too busy working on the K-Rod podcast to go. I mean, honestly, <laughs> un- unretire at 45, go play a series, get your bombs and get out of there. 700 I'm, club is quite the feat. Yeah, I don't know how you can bail – that close to so, to history it's so it's Barry Bonds Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth are the only players above 700 and then it's A-Rod at 696 and Albert at 680 and then Willie May 660 Ken Griffey at 630 and then it kind of goes down from there Jim Tomey Sammy Sosa players like that so Here's my question for you, Max. If he is at 699 at the end of the season, does Albert come back to literally and basically say, I am playing until we get number 700, then we call it, folks? I don't think so. I mean, maybe he will, but, you know, I think it's going to be like an A-Rod situation. I mean, that's going to haunt you, though. That has to haunt you. I think Uh, he's got it, dude. I think he's got it. 20 homers in, I guess – now 158 games left. But what's so, he play? Yeah. What's he play? 85 of those? Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, I I bet I bet if it's if it's getting towards the end of the season and he's like closing in on it single digits away, he'll be playing more often. Unless it's like some intense playoff race and he just can't hit the ball to save his life. But he's got to be in there. I mean, he's got to cool. get 700. Or Dave Roberts becomes the Cardinals manager. Because I'm sure if he was at 699 with 30 games left, Dave Roberts probably just benches him because I was saving it for the playoffs. I mean, fool. But a couple other things to wrap up before we hit our segments. Uh, The Braves World Series rings have come out. They're pretty sick. You know, I would suggest go to the Atlanta Braves Instagram page, look at them. The two things I would note, uh, one, they have a genuine pearl in all of them to celebrate Jocktober. And that's just I can't remember a time where every player's ring had one specific thing to call out a player, yet alone a player who played for the Braves for half of a season. But that's the impact October brings, baby. You play half a season and you're the only player called out in the whole ring besides Hank Aaron. Um, And then obviously the other insane thing about these rings is that you actually can open the top or the face of it. And inside's a cutout of the stadium with rubies that indicate where all the home runs are hit in the World Series. And LED lights. They have an LED light show inside of their freaking World Series rings. They're awesome. Great job to the Braves organization on those. Super intricate. You got to check them out. Yeah, I'd say they're the best rings I've seen from any major sports league. They're, they're, they are really awesome. They're insane. So nicely done to the Braves there. Uh, Max, I don't know if you want to take us home with our last storyline, and then we'll get into some fun stuff. 
Yeah, real last or, or a real quick last one. Um, probably gonna butcher this name. Alyssa Nakin, I think is her name. She uh, came in as a first base coach last night on Tuesday for the San Francisco Giants after their first base coach got ejected late in the game and their blowout win. She became the first female to be a coach on the field, coaching first base. Eric Hosmer came over, gave her a handshake. It was a, it was a really good moment. Yeah. And you know, we've seen in the last two to three years, really a ton of strides in baseball. Um, especially in breaking down those barriers for women. I know we've seen the first GM. We started to see the position coaches come. Now we're getting base coaches. I don't think we're too far out from, you know, actually seeing a, a woman be a manager of a team. Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, we have the the GM of the Marlins is a female. Um, we, we talked about that Yankees minor league manager who made her debut a couple days ago. She's a female, obviously. Um, yeah, there's been huge strides. It's definitely good to see. I mean, I mean, I definitely think in, I mean, who knows, but I would say in the next five years or so, we'll definitely see a manager um, who's a female in the major leagues. If the Dodgers don't win the World Series, I propose we fire Dave Roberts and go get one. Um, <laughs> and now I think that wraps up kind of the storylines we want to touch on. Let's move into the new segment, Preach or Reach. <laughs> Yeah, this is going to be a good one. Um, James, I mean, how about we go back and forth? Uh, I'll give you one. You give me one. We got three each. So this was originally going to be called Buy or Sell, if that gives more context to what this is going to be like. But basically, I'll give some controversial statement to James. He'll tell me if it's a, if I'm preaching or if I'm reaching with this statement. Here we go, James. I'll give you my first one. <clears throat> that is at the Milwaukee Brewers Pitchers are going to have a really down year compared to last year. So for some context, this is pretty much Corbin Burns, who won the NL Cy Young, Brandon Woodruff, and uh, Freddie Peralta, who were both electric last year and really propelled that team, have started really bad. Corbin Burns, uh, last year, he set an MLB record with 58 strikeouts before his first walk. And this year, he fought, walked his very first battery faced. Brandon Woodruff, we talked about before, started his season with like a walk, hit by pitch, double walk. Uh, so it's been a tough start for Milwaukee. And I think now they're two and three, but they were one and three after losing the Orioles the other day. Just a really tough start to the season for them. Do you think this is what the season's going to be like for them moving forward or will they get it together? No, I'm going absolute reach here. Um, I think it's a ludicrous take on the basis of, I think, with the shortened season, the arms aren't built up. I just don't think they're conditioned. I just don't see a staff that more or less was having an internal fight for Cy Youngs uh, to come back and be, I mean, right now they would be in the bottom 15 MLB teams uh, in terms of rotations. I don't think that's sustainable. I think we just have a case of too small of sample size and they weren't prepped enough. I think you give them some starts, build the arms up. I think in May, June, you're talking about an entirely different pitching staff. Fair enough. And now I'm going to fire back. This is relevant to something we talked about, but I think it is a question worth asking. Stephen Kwan is a MLB all-star this season. I mean, I'll say that you're preaching with that. I mean, so far, there's nothing to indicate that he shouldn't be. He has the best eye in baseball. He hasn't swung and missed since 
uh, until today. He's batting well over 500. Every time he steps in the plate, he's taking pitchers deep in the counts. Um, you know, he's not a home run hitter or anything like that. But his ability to get on base, I think, is unmatched. And in, in, if people aren't aware in MLB, every team gets at least one all-star. And I think the Guardians will have multiple with Jose Ramirez and I think Stephen Kwan, too. I don't see any reason why he won't be unless he gets injured or goes on a huge slump. But from the interviews I've watched with him, his mindset team seems totally locked in. He seems to think that this is expected of him and this is just what he does. I expect him to not, you know, keep up the pace he's at, but I think he'll be um, in the Midsummer Classic in July, yeah. But okay, how about I give you my next one? You know, this is kind of on a similar vein and the Guardians are getting a lot of love this year or in this episode, but... I have, are the Guardians a playoff team? Or the Guardians are a playoff team. They're 4-2, four, four game win streak, 41 runs in their last four games. They have the highest team batting average. They're the only team with a batting average over 300. They have the most RBIs in baseball, the most hits in baseball. They have six players batting over 300, three batting over 400, and two batting over 500. I say the Guardians are a playoff team. Am I preaching or reaching? This early in the season, you're insane. I'm calling it a reach. I will say, I think the Guardians go above expectations. Uh, but I think they have more weapons than we initially thought. But you also have to bring some perspective into this. They beat up the Kansas City Royals and the Cincinnati Reds. As far as I'm concerned, the playoffs will not include either of those franchises. You know, I think it's small sample size, not the best pitching. I think they're exceeding expectations. I think at this point in the season to call them a playoff team, uh, I think it's a reach. Interesting, building directly off that, uh, and this is funny because we obviously did not exchange this at all. My second preacher reach, uh, that the Guardians will be buying at the deadline and they'll be within 10 games of the division lead. To me, that's a more reasonable question. I think you're preaching there. I, I think they'll definitely be within 10 games of the division. Now, the question about whether or not they'll spend money, I'm not sure. If they're within 10 games of the division and, you know, Bieber's looking good and the rotation's looking good and you're you're getting guys like Mercado, Owen Miller, Stephen Kwan, Jose Ramirez, um, Miles Straw, all these guys still producing at a high level, will they need to buy? I don't know. But if they're really looking like they have a good team and can make a push then I think it is totally within the realm of possibility that they'll spend to enhance the lineup, maybe, you know, in the right field spot or second base spot, um, or, or maybe some rotation depth. But I, I think you're preaching there. I like this team, and I think if things are progressing as they are right now in this season, they'll definitely be able to make a move like that. For you, my last one for you, the Astros will win the NL West by or the AOS excuse me by the largest gap out of any division right now they are I mean we're five games in but they're four and one they've looked really really good um winning three out of four at the Angels um and they're playing the Diamondbacks now but it just seems like a lot of these other divisions are pretty competitive and us talking about the Guardians and the Tigers competing with the White Sox in the AL Central I think the Astros might run away with the NL West that I know you like the Mariners in and there's the Angels, Rangers, all those teams. I think the Astros will win the AL West by the largest margin. 
I have that as a reach, not because of the Astros. Uh, I do actually think they, they clearly have shown that they're back. You know, nothing's different. Lineup still bangs, pitching still crispy. My problem is, he said, by the largest margin, uh, my counter to that would be my beloved Los Angeles Dodgers had a slow start, but they have started to really click. It really started to go with a six-run inning um, Monday night versus the Twins. Since then, that offense is doing exactly what you're looking. With the top half of that order has been dog water, been terrible. The bottom three players, I mean, even today, today on Tuesday, they went back to back to back. We had the first belly bomb. Uh, you had Chris Taylor going deep, or Gavin Lux going deep, and then um, Austin Barnes going deep, who leads the Dodgers and Homers. I just think this team, when they get hot, and it looks like it, and it looks like Clayton Kershaw is a damn Cy Young pitcher, I think they're going to blow the doors off the National League West. I think they win with 20 games in hand. There you go. See, the, the thing with the NL West, though, I feel like with the Giants and Padres, though, it has a chance to be a lot more competitive. And now, don't forget about the Rockies, who are four and one right now. Sneaky that's, underdog That's team. because no sneaky cheese win that Coors Field, and the Dodgers playing terrible is what that is. Uh, my last hot or not though, but I do like where your head's at with this Houston team. Unfortunately, I do think they win this division. My Mariners are not doing what I need out of them. My last one, and I'm not sure if you'd be expecting this. So far, the last I checked the stats. Seiya Suzuki on the Chicago Cubs had more home runs than swings and misses at pitches. My mm. take, he has a 30-plus home run season. Am I preaching? Am I reaching? I think you're preaching. He already has three. He's already tied for the, the major league lead for home runs in the season. I mean, three home runs through five games. It's, you know, I think it's maybe unreasonable to assume he keeps that up, but through five games... Let's multiply that by 10. That's 50 games. Multiply his home runs by 10. That's 30. So right now he's on pace for 30 games through 50, 30 homers through 50 games, which is kind of unreasonable to expect him to keep up. But I thought he's been really impressive so far. He's got a really good swing, a really powerful swing. Um, and this is what the Cubs expected. I think Seiya Suzuki will definitely hit over 30 home runs this year. So I definitely think you're preaching with that. Yeah, I think I, I was certainly already unwilling to say I was wrong on him. I mean, swing looks electric. He's kind of the heartbeat of that Cubs team already. Uh, so excited to see what he continues to do. And that is the first installment of Preacher Reach. I think you rated me all preaching. I think I rated you all reaching. So that's where we're at. Check yeah. it out of the clouds. <laughs> you know, it's all about bringing the, the spicy takes. Um but how about this? Let's just jump to our next thing, the player watch. So w one player from each of us that is performing, you know, exceptionally well or, or above what we expect. And one player that's really slipping so far. We're only five games in. It's five, six games in. So not a large sample size, but enough to give some type of uh, assessment to how players are doing. James, give me your give me your best player so far. Who's a player you're high on thus far into the season? Yeah, I think what I've seen, and this to me is a no-brainer, um, it's Tyler McGill. I mean, he has been on the Mets. I was worried with the Grom out, Scherzer potentially. He pitched, but, you know, potentially banged up. What are they going to do? Chris Bassett's been good. Tyler McGill's been incredible. 2-0, and um, so of course, small sample size. He's pitched 10.1 innings. 
He has zero earned runs against him. He's given up six hits over those 10 innings and no walks. Uh, so that's going to put him under a one whip, uh, you know, zero ERA. He's got 11 Ks. So, so maybe the Ks per nine, you know, I mean, still 11 Ks per nine is pretty good. Uh, I guess he's a little bit under that pace, but he's been lights out. He's been the reason that this Mets team without the Grom has not missed a beat. That starting pitching looks terrifying because we weren't even talking about McGill to start the season. They still have Tywon Walker. They still have Chris Bassett. They still have Max Scherzer. And at some point, this team may get Jacob DeGrom. I mean, it's insane. This may be the best five-man rotation that we've ever seen if he keeps this up. He's looked lights out. He's been the best pitcher so far in baseball, my estimations. Yeah, I'm going, you know, I'm sticking with the Guardians. I'm going uh, Owen Miller for the Guardians, who's, you know, Kind of can play all over the infield. Has played some first. Uh, can play short. He's a 25-year-old. He was played 60 games last year. Only batted 204. But this year so far, he's playing exceptionally well. Um, he's batting over 500 at 524. He has five doubles. Um, he's 11 for 21 at the plate. Has scored eight runs. Six RBIs. Has at two homers. Only two strikeouts. He's looked really impressive so far. And he's, you know, a big piece of that that lineup that we all thought was top-heavy with uh, Jose Ramirez and some of these guys going into the season. And to get production from a young guy like that who was in the – I think he was in the Padres farm system these past couple of years. And I know a lot of Padres fans were high on him. And to get the production out of him that, you know, Guardians fans want is really, really good to see. Um, I think he is tied for the MLB lead in doubles thus far. And to get the amount of runs he's scoring is also great. So I, I'm really liking Owen Miller. I think he's a, a player that people should keep their eye on as the season moves forward. How about your how about your uh, player that's not doing so well thus far? Yeah, so as we said, honorable mention goes to Otani, who just hasn't given us that production. Um, this one I kind of struggled with. I got a couple... Hicks I was between, but I'm actually going to keep it at home for me. And I have to select Marcus Lynn Betts, otherwise known as Mookie Betts. Uh, he's currently batting, you know, and, and he should be the best player on this team. Bar none, you know, I was expecting an MVP caliber season with him fully healthy again. Uh, so far, he's batting 167. He only has four hits, one of which was a double. That was his only extra base hit. He has two RBIs, which is positive. He has only drawn one walk, no steals. He just has not been, you know, and that's the stat side of it, but he hasn't been that dominant player. You're used to watching Mookie Betts be that five-tool player who just runs all levels of the game, is always making an impact. We haven't seen that. They've struggled some. Luckily, the bottom half of the lineup, especially Gavin Lux, has saved them. But if this team wants to seriously compete and win a World Series, they need Mookie Betts to show up. I'm going with the number one prospect in baseball, Bobby Witt Jr. Um, I think he hasn't been performing very well. I think, you know, he's really good in the field. Um, you know, we've talked about some of the plays he's made already this season. But from the plate, he has not been doing well. He's he's only batting 100. Um, he's two for 20 at the plate with six strikeouts, only one walk, no homers, three RBIs. Um, obviously, I mean, look, he's super young. He was prospect, the number one prospect in baseball. He's only 21 years old. Um, but I think there were higher expectations. And when you look around the league, obviously we've talked about Stephen Kwan and how well he's doing. Spencer Torkelson started, 
he was struggling at the beginning of the year, but he hit his first home run today. He's been really picking it up. I'm just expecting, you know, I, I expected him to come out a little hot. I didn't expect him to bat at 100 and only have two hits in his first 20 plate appearances and no homers and six Ks. Um, and it's not like he's getting on base other ways. He only has a 143 on base percentage. So he's just been struggling from the plate. He's yet to find his groove. We'll see if, you know, I, I, I expect him to pick it up. But he, I have been a bit disappointed watching some of his at-bats. Especially, you know, he's been playing, like, he played the Cardinals yesterday and he started uh, playing the Guardians in the series before that. So I've seen a lot of his at-bats and I haven't been overly impressed thus far. Yeah, I think, you know, he did have the, the nice at-bat, the RBI in the eighth. But like you said, yeah. it's really been radio silent since then. Of course, you want to cut the kid a bit of a break. But, you know, if, if the Royals want to compete, which I think they can, he's going to have to be a big part of that. Yeah, definitely. And especially that team, they, they kind of need him right now. I know Salvador Perez finally got it. He hit two homers against the Cards last night. And Andrew Benatendi has been on an absolute tear to start the season. So, you know, they, they'll need him to pick it up. And I think they want him to get on base because he's somebody that can steal bases um, and, and, you know, do a good job of getting first to third or first to home if needed and scoring from second on a single. And if he's not able to get on base, you know, that, that tool of his kind of goes underused. So I expect him to pick it up. He's a 21-year-old kid in his first uh, couple games in the majors. But we'll have to see. James, are you ready to move on to our locks, finish it out with our bets uh, of the week, the bets that we want to make this week that we think are looking the best, and this is something we'll track. In the future, we'll review our prior week's bets, kind of review the record as the season goes, but this is the inaugural lock of the week. Who? What are you liking? Is it a player prop? Is it a game line? I mean, what do, what do you like? So I, I've picked out three bets. We're going to go game time on which one I announce. One is an over-under on a game line. One is a team's money line. And one is a player prop. Um, you know, I think it's hard to decide where I want to go because I, I don't want people to think one of my bets could be construed as a hometown type pick, but it's also the one I'm most confident in. So that's what I'm going to go with. Uh, I have on April 16th, the Cincinnati Reds will be in Los Angeles playing the Dodgers. Hunter Green making his second debut versus Julio Urias. I love the over in this game. I absolutely mm. love the over. Uh, I think it's set at nine runs was what I've seen initially far out. There's not a money or like a, a line associated with it yet because we are on April 13th right now as we're recording. Uh, I don't care what the line is. Hammer this bet. Um I think one Urias looked terrible in his last start was getting mugged and chased off in the second. I don't think, you know, maybe the Kershaw magic can wind up, but as he's gearing up for the season, I expect the Reds to cause some damage. Uh, it's going to be uh, in the Dodgers for a series at home. It's going to be juicy. You know, it's a hitter friendly park. And I think the ultimate reason I'm so confident is that Hunter green has that nasty hundred mile an hour fastball with some control issues this is not the right roster to throw 100 mile per hour middle middle at. I mean, I think they're just the offense is clicking. They're smashing baseballs, and if you give them 100 mile per hour and they barrel that thing up, it's going out of Chavez Ravine. Love the over in that game. That's not a hometown pick. Next week, I promise, do not pick anything related to the Dodgers. 
I like it. I'm going a game that's today, Thursday, April 14th, um, and that is the Astros, or um, excuse me, the Angels at the Rangers. Shohei's back on the mound. I like a parlay with Angels minus one and a half, parlayed with the under eight and a half runs scored. Um, You get this at plus 450 odds. I think with Shohei back on the mound, who pitched exceptional in his first game, I don't think a lot of runs will be scored, and I especially don't think a lot of runs will be scored by the Rangers, who have struggled to open the season. And I I think under eight and a half runs and the Angels winning by over one run, I think Angels will win by 3-0, 4-0, even, you know, 5-1. I think this bet hits, and especially at four and a half to one odds, that's the bet I like this week. Yeah, it's interesting that first week you're kind of balls right on the table going for a parlay. You're not even worried about that <laughs> one. You're like, I'm predicting a whole package. Uh, so obviously we'll track. We'll see how these these bets do. I'm surprised you came out so adventurous. Um, <laughs> I, just, with it. I, I don't know. It was there when I was looking at the bets. It was an immediate option. I didn't even have to you know put it together. And I don't know. I, I think Otani will pick it up. I think Trout, he's coming off the stomach bug. I think he'll be back in the lineup. Rendon hit a two-run blast the other night. I think the Angels will put up some runs, and I think Otani will shut out the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, I I like the logic there. I'm not quite sure about a shutout. I think Corey Seager wants to go moon. I got a feeling. (laughs) Uh, With that being said, we'll track the picks. We'll report next week how we did. We'll see if uh, the Shohei parlay got it done and if you keep picking parlays. Um, To wrap this up, I'm going to honorable mention, give one. This won't count to the standings, and I don't even have the odds, nor am I sure what the line is set at. But on April 15th, the Guardians are playing the Giants. Uh, Rodon will be on the mound. Um, I'm not sure. uh, Max will be in attendance. uh, And I'm not sure what the line will be or is established, but I love Stephen Kwan to get a strikeout in that game. I don't know why. Ooh. I think Rodon was filthy stuff. I think you're going to get great odds because he looks like he, he you can't strike him out. And I think uh, Carlos is going to be his first introduction to what Cy Young level pitching looks like. There you go. We'll see. Um, but we will be back on Monday with another installment of the Rapid Recap, which will be much more rapid this time as we have a lot more series to cover. Uh, some spicy and dicey and some more storylines as the MLB season continues in full swing. Yeah, and and definitely, you know, real quick, I'd say we're getting a lot of love um, on our first installment episode and really appreciate that and appreciate the support. Uh, And then another one, kind of shameless plug, go follow our Twitter, Rounding Third Now, Rounding 3RD Now. We're always tweeting out videos as they're happening. We're tweeting out thoughts on the game. So it's a good place, you know. We're watching baseball all day, all night, so you don't have to. Uh, we still recommend you do it. It's awesome sport. But you want to see some high-level, cool highlights, cool things that are going on, and interact with us. Let us know where we're preaching, where we're reaching. Are these bets locks? What do you think? And how do you feel about Clayton Kershaw being robbed the opportunity to go perfect? Awesome. Talk to you guys later. Thanks, everyone.